Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. So let's get more on the passing of Queen Elizabeth II at the age of 96 with Cindy McCreary, University of Sydney senior lecturer. She is an expert on the history of the royal family. Cindy, I think we all knew that one day this uh, day would happen and she has been the monarch for, for 70 years, but perhaps a, a shock to many even at the age of 96 and the outpouring really just showing how globally loved the Queen was. Absolutely, Juliet, and good morning to you and to Brian. This is a remarkable event, we can think back just two days ago to where we saw photographs of the Queen at Balmoral smiling as she welcomed and formally um, uh, kissed hands, as they say, with the new British Prime Minister, Liz Truss, and then two days later, uh, her, her, her untimely passing. I think we need to also reflect on the difference that people will feel at this passing compared to, say, that of Diana. Last week, we acknowledged the 25th anniversary of the death of Diana, which I think many people will remember as a time of great mass hysteria and outpouring a very public emotion. I think this will take us perhaps more by surprise, that the initial response will be quieter, but no less profound. And I think in the weeks, months and years ahead, most people on this planet will pause at some point to reflect that this is the only monarch that most of us have ever known, and that really this is uncharted territory for most of us going forward. Britain can be a tough place, uh, but as Juliet suggested, and as you um, added, uh, she was quite beloved. The former Prime Minister, John Major, actually told the BBC earlier that Queen Elizabeth was an almost flawless figure. Uh, and, I, and I guess by that, I mean, other than the Princess Diana controversy, we can't find too many other areas where she really attracted much criticism. That's right. And I think it is a remarkable legacy, given that at that same time, she was also the longest serving British monarch. To, so to have that kind of track, track record over 70 years of service is remarkable. I would add, however, Brian, that we need to remember that as the monarch, the Queen was deliberately protected from any sort of touch of scandal that at times engulfed other members of the royal family. And even, for example, with the recent controversy over Prince Andrew, the Queen kind of somewhat remarkably, perhaps, is really kept out of that even though she clearly gave uh, her son support. So I think that the Queen's legacy is remarkable, both because of her own uh, actions and her discipline, but also because as sovereign, she has been, if you like, protected and shielded to an extent from the kind of public intrusiveness that other royal members of the family have had to encounter and deal with. There's quite a lot that needs to happen in the handover to her son, King Charles III, who's going to become uh, the oldest person to exceed the throne at age 73. Just talk us through some of, I guess, the ceremony that we're expecting, because it also impacts other Commonwealth nations as well. 
interesting to say, Juliet, is that this, is, of course, is a very well-planned operation. It's even got a code name, Operation London Bridge, and has been planned um, for really years, if not decades. So what we'll see in the next few days and weeks has been practiced and rehearsed um, for quite some time. Um, and there's really a very clear-cut set of protocol and ceremonies that will, will take place. We'll see the uh, removal of the Queen's uh, body, her coffin, on a train to London. It will lie in state, as we know, in Westminster Hall for four days before a funeral in about two weeks' time at Westminster Abbey before she is laid to rest, not in Westminster Abbey, but in St. George's Chapel, Windsor, which is the resting place of her late husband, Prince Philip, and for many uh, members of her family. Um, that is all very well choreographed, and we know what to expect. I think what's less certain is the reception that King Charles will face, not, not in the immediate aftermath, of his mother's death, where I think there's indeed global support for him. But in the years ahead, I think that Charles and his wife Camilla do will in fact be haunted still by the memory, not so much of Elizabeth, but of Diana. And I think that uh, the difficult relationship with Harry is another area where Charles and Camilla will have to tread very carefully. But for now, for the next, next few weeks, expect to see really, I think, a quite polished performance of British royal protocol. Yeah. I'm interested in the crossover between politics and protocol uh, when you're talking about the global response. Um, first of all, who gets invited? That comes from uh, th- from the royal family and from uh, the government. But then, like, for instance, does Vladimir Putin get invited, um, Xi Jinping? Uh, and then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on who would come versus who would be brave enough to stay away. I think that you'll see uh, many, many invitations extended. I don't think it would include Putin. Uh, in fact, I'm almost certain that would not be the case. I would think that um, Vladimir Zelensky would be invited, though I doubt that he could take up that invitation. Um, but I think you'll find that actually many more people would come than would stay away. Um, speaking to you from Australia, as I am, uh, a country where the new government has, has signaled in May when it took office that it plans at some point in the future to uh, move for Australia to have another referendum on becoming a republic. Um, Even here, I think, you'll see a great deal of respect for the Queen and a great deal of affection for her. So I think politics will not come into play uh, with the sort of events surrounding uh, her funeral, uh, with, I should say, perhaps the, the, the exception of Russia. I think that's an interesting point because in, I think, 1999 it was, Australia had that referendum as to whether it would break away from the monarchy and uh, they elected to stay. But there are a lot of Australians that don't see the point of having the royals as their head of state, yet she was still loved. What kind of movement are you seeing in terms of of admiration there in Australia? And, And I guess talk about the young people that may have never seen the Queen on Australian soil. That's right. I mean, I think it's a really complex relationship here in Australia, Juliet. You're right. Um, the Australia of, of 2022 is a very different country from the Australia of 1954, which welcomed the Queen and Prince Philip on their first royal tour. Um, at that point, Australia was still very much an Anglo-Celtic nation. Other than Indigenous Australians, the majority of the population had an Anglo-Celtic background. That's not true today. Today, Australia is an Asian nation. More Australians have Asian heritage um, and have no particular reason to have interest in, let alone affection for the British monarchy. But having said all that, the Queen herself, I think, is widely respected in Australia, uh, as to, I think, Diana was, uh, and that today, I think, is a moment for reflection, for compassion, and for grief. But looking ahead, I think that the referendum on a republic will be restarted. But again, the challenge that we faced in 1999 hasn't gone away. In other words, it's not just about replacing a monarchy with a republic in Australia. It's the issue of how we choose our next head of state. How would a president be elected or appointed? And that's really, I think, why the referendum 
referendum in 1999 came unstuck. And at the moment, I think there's still controversy about whether or not the current proposal actually would be something that most Australians would agree with. So I think that's still an Overall. open question. It's not just about ditching the monarchy. It's about how we would choose the next head of state. Just briefly in 20 seconds, overall, do you expect the profile of the royal family to recede a little bit now? I think it's a very tense time and a great uh, challenge awaits King Charles. There's an immediate support for the royal family and sympathy and grief, but I think that Charles and Camilla do face a, a, a very difficult road ahead. All right, Cindy, thank you. Cindy McCreary, University of Sydney senior lecturer, joining us from Sydney on the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, who has died aged 96. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.